Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. This is Coffee with Coaches presented by a Quick Timeout Podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Gilbert Abraham. Uh, Coach has been somebody that I've been uh, friends with for a while now, some things that he's done with our program. Coach, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. It was a little over a year ago you and I talked uh, the first time for the podcast. I know your year has kind of been unique and busy. You kind of want to share with people what you've been up to over the last 13 or 14 months? Yeah, for at least, um, say, at least 10 months out of this last year, I was in um, the Czech Republic with um, the Get Better Academy, um, serving as their uh, VP of Operations and um, Director of Skill Development. So um, it's been a a very uh, challenging year, obviously, with everything that's going on with COVID and all of that. But from a basketball perspective, it's been a great year. Um, I've had a lot of success. We helped place 14 kids in college this year uh, from our academy, as well as uh, with our professional teams. Uh, you know, we, you know, lost, I think, only two games on the season. So, um, yeah, we, we've had a really successful year and players have gotten better. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of what we're doing. A lot of things we could talk about with Coach. Uh, and the theme of kind of keeping things quick and focused, we thought it'd be best to talk about something that we've addressed on the show before, but not really talked about in detail. And that's the topic of pick and roll offense. Coach, I guess the the best place for us to start off and for me to lead with is kind of just having a conversation with your players. Where do you start when it comes to this topic? Um, I think for me personally, where it starts for the most part is uh, with ball handling. Um, you know, uh, every player that has to play out of a pick and roll as a ball handler, um, you know, needs to be able to navigate uh, their way between, you know, a pick and getting to the rim or being able to put themselves in a position where they can make plays for other people. And uh, that's an integral and vital part of pick and roll. And everything starts there. You know, if you can't dribble, pass and shoot, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to play pick and roll. Somewhat similar question to that one, but. Are there essential skills beyond what you just talked about that we think of typically for pick and roll offense that coaches should be emphasizing or talking with players right there from the start? I think the biggest thing, um, and I had a really good conversation recently about this with a, with a really high level coach, and they were just really speaking to the fact that it's all about processing and making sure that the players get so many reps, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps within pick and roll so that they can start to to get to a point where they're not thinking and overthinking everything as it's happening. And they can just very quickly assess, process, and then make decisions as these things are going on. And it's um, it's not it's something that I think is overlooked. I think we can sit down and I can talk about all the things we can do in a drill and talk about all these things that we're doing. But are we actually spending a lot of time giving players bike riding time to develop the 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 natural feel for it. Um, if you take a guy like Chris Paul, how many pick and rolls has that guy probably seen in his career? You know, or, or take a guy like Raymond Felton, a trainee of mine for a long time. The way he 
recognizes, feels, and just responds in those situations is some of the most amazing things to me. And um, it, it's vital. You know, if we don't put these players in these situations a lot and allow them to, to gather and get a, a good feel for it, it's going to be very difficult for them to improve. So I was talking a couple of weeks ago with Fran Fraschilla. We did a show for Fast Model with the restart of the NBA, and he brought up the topic of, you know, pick and roll offense and players being able to read those different levels. And the comment that he made was it's one thing for us to have players go through and work against that first and second level of defense. But once you get to that third level where defenders are stepping over and they're reading help and rotations to the help, that's where you get your elite decision makers. Yes. How do you, how do you teach that? Um, we personally have been spending a lot of time on small-sided games. So um, what we've been doing out of the small-sided games is as coaches, we've been guarding our players and then really focusing on the third layer of defense as far as giving them different looks. So um, a lot of times I like that to be me. Um, and even when we're just working on ball handling and being the first layer of defense and then meeting somebody the second and third layer, do you know when to finish at the rim? Uh, do you know when to when you're going to be making plays? Can you recognize quickly enough and from a, a synaptic standpoint what is happening? Take a picture in your mind mentally and then process it and then react. You know, um, back from my poetry days, uh, there's a poet uh, named Ezra Pound. You know, who said, uh, you know, an, an image is an instant in time. And it's one of the things that always stuck with me is like, as a basketball player, can you take quick pictures mentally and then react and make high level decisions? And personally, it's one of the things I think is so special about a guy like Luca um, in regards to his, his playmaking, because it's impressive what he's doing at the third and, and even the fourth layer uh, as far as reading and making those quick decisions. And LeBron as well. I mean, LeBron is so subtle, his mastery, I think, that unless you really, really paid attention and watch and pay attention to how he looks people off um, and is able to make these these really, really high-level plays, it all starts uh, basically with that kind of stuff. Hey, Gilbert, sorry for, for jumping on here a little late, it's having some trouble, but when you start talking, you know, you mentioned Luca and how good he is in those ball screens. One thing that he kind of gets knocked for is he's not a great athlete, he's a little slow but he's so good at changing his speed and having pace coming off these ball screens. And we talk about those three levels of scoring. How do you kind of identify, you know, those paces, those different speeds? How do you teach those to your players and just get them to use that change of speed in the pick and roll? Yeah, that's a great question. And really what I, you know, um, I've been reading a lot of uh, um, Daniel Coyle over the years, talent code, uh, you know, culture code, and then also David Epstein. And you'll see it over and over and over again to completely slow your players down and literally have them go at almost a walking pace through these things and then teach them slow, fast, slow, fast, really get them the understanding of um, being able to play it with different gears. And personally, I don't think there are three levels of scoring. I think there are five right now. I think you have to be able to score at the rim, from floater range, from mid range, from three, and then gravity or the four point line. Those are the five levels of an elite pick and roll player. And the guys who are the most elite at that, they have five levels, Curry, LeBron, Doncic. I mean, um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it opens up a world to you. And the last thing I would say about Doncic um, is he's a lot more athletic than we give people, you give him credit for. He's very athletic. And I think we kind of get caught up in athleticism as being just somebody flying around and dunking, but his, his ability uh, to change levels and speeds, his lateral quickness is, is uh, I think, a 99th uh, percentile in the NBA. So I think people kind of get lost in 
okay, just because somebody's not flying above the rim, you know, that's that kind of athletic. But he's very, very athletic. He just operates on a different plane of athleticism or a different way. Right now, Huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the Return to Play program. The program includes subscriptions for every program, as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus, the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, which automatically records your home games, with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get Huddle Assist, that means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how Huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit Huddle.com. That's Huddle.com to learn more. So if you're the ball handler, obviously it's kind of dictated to you what your next thing is based off of what the defense is doing in that ball screen. So if they're hedging or if they're dropping or if they're whatever, there are a lot of things now the defenses are doing, and we can talk more about, you know, the ice and the down and and how to beat those a little bit later on. However, when you're teaching that to your players, there's a lot of things that you could throw at them right away. What's the progression for you teaching the different reads off of the different types of ball screen defense? Yeah, and I I think it's twofold. I, I like to personally start with the ball handler. Right. And if I'm focusing on the ball handler in this situation, the ball handler has to be able to do these things. You have to be able to reject, use the pick, snake the pick, fake snake the pick, and then be able to play out of um, basically splits and then hard shows and then being able to get around. So those are probably the five situations. And then from those five, everything that I talked about as far as the five levels, rehearsing those five ways of scoring out of those five levels. So that's like the first thing as, as a score. The next part of that is, can you play make out of all those situations? So if I reject the pick and then I see somebody present present a body, right, full chest and body at the rim or outside of that area, then obviously I know it's time to make a play. Um, and the more pressure that a player can put on a rim, the better position they put themselves into making plays. Um, and, you know, even for the great shooters, you know, they average the most layups. The best players average the most layups. So the most most pressure they can put on the rim off the reject, off of using a pick and roll, off of uh, snaking it, fake snaking it, splitting a pick or attacking the hard hedge and then getting into um, the lane. Um, all of that um, basically flows into that. So that's as a ball handler. And then obviously I think the thing that's often neglected is what, what the role man is doing. You know, uh, do you know when to slip? Do you know when to hard roll? You know, in the short roll, um, you know, the the thing uh, and I know I'm talking a lot, but uh, <laughs> the thing that's, you know, uh, it's really exciting for me right now, especially with the with the role, man, is I think people don't pay enough attention to how this how important or how how in my mind, the most important player in basketball right now is this is the, the secondary playmaker out of pick and roll situations. Like you look at the Portland Trailblazers when they add Nurkic, like he can pass. That's why they're so dangerous. You know, once you you add him, you know, and I'm like a personally, I think if you if you gave Damian Lillard Draymond Green, I think he's an NBA champion personally. You know, because he needs, uh, you know, a guy because he puts so much pressure on the rim with how he comes off with picks and how he shoots threes that you have to hard show a trap or double, and now that forces somebody to be a playmaker playing four on three, and 
yeah, you know, I, I yeah, it's it's a uh, that that yeah, hopefully that answers your question. I'm sorry, I know I went a little bit of a tangent. Oh, that's yeah. perfect. That was actually going to be my next question. Was kind of how the the screener, you know, what his role is in in the in the pick and roll. But so often we, you know, you talked about the ball handler and you know snaking coming off a hard hedge. How the different moves they can do and how they have to read that. But as a screener, I know sometimes as a coach, it's really hard to teach a screener how to make those reads because they not only have to react to the defense, but they have to react to what the ball handler decides to do. So do you have any teaching points as, you know, for a screener, how, you know, do they just have to be patient and wait it out and see, see what happens? Or is there certain triggers or anything that a, a screener can look for in order to make the correct read? Yeah. I mean, there's several triggers. Um, uh, one of the main one is, is as you're setting a pick and roll, right? Like one of the misnomers I think that's kind of been in place for a long time is that you have to make physical contact with the ball handler, right? If someone is not touching you, if, if the, if the defender basically is deciding to go over or does not make physical contact with you, that person setting the pick needs to just get out of there. If there's nobody between them and the rim, they need a hard roll and they need to sprint to space, um, on the pop. Right. Then the other thing is, is everyone thinks it always has to be a hard roll or you have to basically sprint out of it in terms of the pop. There are times when, you know, if you see a situation where your ball handler is being trapped or you see a hard show, making yourself available as a short roller is one of the biggest things. And it's something that I think the better and better because our guards in this day and age are incredible. The things that they can do, the scores on coming off of those picks and the conventional point guard as we've kind of known it. You can't really play the position anymore if you cannot score. You know, you cannot be effective if you if you cannot score and put pressure on the rim. So what happens now is you have this lethal guard coming off of the pick, and then that guy who's who's setting it needs to be able to catch the ball as a short roller, as a popper, and then basically function as a point guard once they catch it. And that's the reason why the best teams um, have really, you know, they have to have, you know, that secondary playmaker or really primary in many cases. It's why Jokic is so special with the Nuggets. Jamal Murray can come off of these picks and tear people up. And then if he receives heat, he drops it off to Jokic, and Jokic is shooting fish in a barrel, literally just popping it wherever he wants to throw it, and then they can destroy people. So um, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Um, but um, like another trigger for, for me is, is like if you're coming off of a pick, you know, and, you know, knowing little things like when you want to be able to throw a lob, you know, if, you know, everyone's always talking about chest to ball on the rolls, like you don't have to have chest to ball, you know, like you have these, uh, you know, we used to call them Stoudemire rolls, you know, because Amari Stoudemire did it all the time, you know, like just turn and go and take off at the rim, being prepared to get the lob, being be, being prepared to get that short roll and make a play. So um, there, there, there are a lot of things. So the goal is to basically draw two with that initial screen somewhere to create help somewhere on the floor to get that defense into the defensive rotation. Based off of that, my question is, does it end for you teaching-wise after either that play is made by the playmaker or the pass is made on the short roll, or obviously it ends if there's a finish or a shot at the rim. But beyond that, how do you keep the defense rotating to create an advantage to eventually create a shot? So is there more to it than that? I mean, do you stop with that typically in your workouts or you do, do you continue to move on in that progression? 
Um, we move on. Um, a lot of what we work on after that basically is depending on what happens situationally, because I think the first part of this, the reason why I spend so much time on the basically the the, the, the small sided game portion or the three man portion is it's no talent code. Right. Like uh, if you remember, um, uh, you know, how big futsal has become in soccer circles because it's about how many touches that the players get. You look at players like Messi and all these other uh, high-level players, um, they were looking at the soccer players in youth development. Why all these players out of Brazil, uh, for example, were so high-level as far as soccer players, where they were getting something like hundreds of thousands of touches, right, in a small confined space over a lot of time. And then when you put them in large space, they were able to, to just basically destroy people as far as navigating and maneuvering. And so from that perspective, if you take that from a basketball perspective, if you're playing three on threes or you're playing small sided games or players are getting tons and tons and tons of these reps in small sided games, what happens is when you put them back in larger space and you add a fifth player, then you get these things. So I think everything has to be worked in components. So the first half of the component is, okay, what is actually happening in the pick and roll or the dribble handoff or the, or the off ball screen or, you know, the flare or whatever it is, right? And then once the ball is reserved, I mean, reversed, uh, PGC, we call them click, look, booms, um, you know, where you, you're passing the ball or reversing it and it's, it's click, click, right? Are you prepared to catch and shoot? Are you prepared to redrive and make another play? That's So as a coach, I might be the one who's driving off the pick and reversing it. And then they're working on what they're doing now out of short closeouts or out of long closeouts. Can you, are you prepared to shoot? Are you prepared to drive? Are you to make a play, right? So that's like a whole nother uh that's not pick and roll. So that's like the whole second level of this, right? Because it's, that's about, okay, do you know when to catch the ball? Do you know when to put it on the floor? Do you know when to make a play? Um, then on the, you know, the next half of that is, is, okay, we play the play. Let's say, for example, we throw it in for a post-up. For us, we like to play splits. We want to split off the ball. Sometimes we'll lake or cut and then split off the ball. Do you understand how to play, make, and pass out of there? Because as we all know, um, you know, uh, post-ups right now are highly inefficient for a lot of reasons. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion, you know, <laughs> that we can get into. But a lot of it is like, you know, do you know how to play out of that? Can you pass out of those situations? But one of the things that's lost in the, in the post-up part is it's, it's one of the most efficient ways to make plays out of. Because most defenses are not designed to guard out of the post in regards to the playmaking part. They can't stop it because you, you end up looking at the ball and all these things can happen. So um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah it was really good. I, I was kind of just thinking, you know, as you were kind of talking about these these different aspects, all the, you know, kind of the next level of teaching. And I, I know kind of all the talk this offseason amongst coaches clinics has been, the, you know, this, like these European style ball screen offenses and specifically like the Spain action. And I'm yeah. thinking about, you know, as you, you know, as you kind of screen the screener in a Spain action, are there certain things? Because I know that's going to be a popular thing and it's already kind of become popular but there's certain things in like a spain action screen the screener where you're um teaching your you know your bigs to screen and pop are we looking to read those differently than we would a traditional ball screen yeah i mean honestly man like this like i, I it's always interesting to me like when we talk about stuff like spain action like um this stuff goes way back you know it's just interesting when it catches on you know for sure it's been done for a long like over 20 years been done for a long time um but I think the biggest thing with this is, is um, like we ran it this year, you know, we did it a, a few different things. Like we, um, you know, we ran it out of our zipper, you know, uh, package. Uh, we tried some different things out of uh, doing it out of, off of an Iverson cut or 45 cut, um, pro cut rather. Um, and what I basically found was the largest issue is, is 
Um, you need a real hard roll big to put pressure on the rim off the roll. If you have a guy who's not a threat rolling, that back screen that's being set on the roll, man, really is not as effective and teams can really get through there and, and it becomes pointless. And some of the stuff that I've seen that's been the most effective off of the Spain is disguising it first, running into a handoff before you play the, the back pick screen, um, running an initial action first on one side of the floor, or, you know, Miami uh, handoff pick, reversing it and then running Spain. Um getting the defense scrambled first before you get into it. You know, one of the benefits that we have is we play on a 24-second shot clock, so you can really soften up the defense over the game before you do it. Um, but personally, I think um, that, you know, probably the biggest thing that I've seen, and this is especially at the NBA level, is if they don't get it, it's what they're doing to continue off of it. So the person who's back screening is getting the ball reversed to them, and if they don't have a wide-open shot, um, that player is playing a pick or – running right into a dribble handoff or something like that. And even Spain now, as you're starting to see, is being used as a false action as well. Because just as an initial action, it really works if you don't expect it coming, but it's being done a lot now, at least from what I've seen. NBA level, you know, I remember last year or the year before, the Wizards started doing it quite a bit, and it was really effective for them. And as you know, with most NBA teams, if something starts working for about two or three weeks, everybody's going to do it. And so at least 80% of the league was doing it. And obviously they learned how to guard it when they saw it coming. And now you start to see all of these evolutions of, of how they started and then what the the um the the secondary actions are on top of it. Now now that it's being used as a false action. Another popular action this time from the defensive side, but downing or icing ball screens. Yep. What solutions do you have to that? Because now you're seeing guys prepare for that. Um, the offenses are maybe jumping underneath of it and jamming it so you get kind of a flat. But, but then out of that, what do you do? Have you seen offenses do something with that second playmaker, the, the, the big who's coming up to set the screen? Maybe they're doing something different with that to take that player away and draw that player away. What are some solutions to that type of defense? Yeah, they're doing a ton. Um, I mean, I you probably could, we probably could have done this whole talk on ice. <laughs> like, you know, uh, you see a lot of um, teams uh, basically uh, – passing the ball to the corner, say, for example, in the ice situation, screening away. So you see pin downs off of that action. Um, if you have a roll man, you see them uh, dropping the ball off to the, uh, the the roll man that's slipping, trying to get in the cracks. Uh, personally, as a ball handler, I love it when players basically use some type of push crossover or something to get downhill at that player that is um, in the drop coverage of the ice because – you know, the thing that gets lost in this, unless the on-ball defender, and this is for any type of pick-and-roll def, uh, defense, unless the on-ball defender is really hounding that ball handler, if that if that player is good, they can put any kind of pressure they want on, on that big man. And if that big man is not necessarily great laterally and cannot hold long enough for the, for the guard to get back, um, it's just like any defense. Ice is not as effective. Now, I think ice works great if you have – um, uh, if you're, if the role man that you're playing with can't shoot, if he can't shoot and he's not necessarily a great passer, he's just a roller and a finisher, you can pretty much destroy it. Um, you know, it's not as effective. Um, and then the other thing that's big for me is, is flipping, flipping the screens. So if somebody, if I'm the ball handler dribbling with, uh, with, with, with my hand, the defense is jumping on this side of my body. This is, this is the person that's guarding me in ice is the big, instead of setting the pick here is flipping it, you know? and setting it right here. And then I snake it right away, and it's open season. We're having fun. You know, it's, it's already four on three, um, and you have you have serious problems on your hands. Um, 
So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's a lot. You know, what I mean, I, I personally I love it when teams play ice against us because it's um, then you get to go in your bag, you know, so so to speak, <laughs> do a lot of really fun things. Yeah, you know, you talk about these different examples. We talk about icing. We talk about Spain action. I'm sure you do some film study with your guys that you work with. And, you know, are there any specific NBA guys or international players that you specifically watch? And even more so, like, are there combos, like a guard and a big that work really well together? Like, who are the guys that you you pull up on film and say, hey, here, here's what we need to do just like this against this action. Um, but does anyone come to mind? Mm, I mean, <clears throat> I would say probably it may not be the best tandem, but two of the more exciting tandems is um, – you know, Lou Will and Montrezl Harrell, <clears throat> their pick and roll game. I mean, like both of them are considered for sixth, sixth uh, man of the year uh, because of, of their brilliance in those situations. I mean, they can do so much um, because Montrezl can pass and he puts crazy amount of pressure as a lob threat and as a, as a, as a, as a roller. So um, when you have a guy like Lou Williams who can pass and also score at every level, right? One through five, he's that kind of threat. Um, you have a problem because if you don't uh, hard show or you don't trap or you don't um, present, if you low show him, he will kill you playmaking and scoring. So um, yeah, I think that tandem is, is really, really exciting for me. I love to watch them. Um, I love watching Chris Paul and Steven Adams. Now um, I love showing players that and what that tandem looks like. I think something Chris Paul has always done is you'll never see him not play with a big, that is a lob threat as a roller. You've mm-hmm. never seen that happen. And there's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, um, and you can kind of see that with any of the really good guards that can score and pass. If they're not paired with somebody who can do that, you know, they're they're not as effective in those pick and roll situations. Um, as, we, as we kind of wind things down, this conversation could go on forever. <laughs> but I, I know that you did earlier this uh, summer a webinar, if I'm not mistaken, and yes. it, had, it had more than just you talking. Can you talk about kind of some of the things that you had in that presentation and then maybe how getting that presentation can be helpful as far as seeing diagrams that that they could work with or even video clips and then where could they find that video? Sure. Um, uh, Actually, all that stuff is actually up on CoachTube. Um, So the entire course is up on CoachTube. um, And uh, if anybody's interested, they can, can, you know, they can email me um, at akinathletics at gmail. um, and I'll actually throw that in here in the um, in this chat, um, you know, and I can share with you the information in regards to getting that talk. And a lot of the stuff that's there uh, is basically um, exactly everything that I've talked about as far as five levels of scoring, uh, video of pick and roll of how those things are done at every level, and then also video of what's being done in all these romance situations. Um, and then I basically talk for over an hour about how that's taught, how it's drilled, and then um, basically what the translation is. Cause I think what's lost most of the time in these, um, whenever we're talking about school development or drills or any of this is, do you have translation? Uh, and something big that we do, um, especially with the Get Better Academy is, can you score at the phase A level, phase B and phase C? And phase A is basically one on all, three on all type situation. Phase B is guided defense, which, you know, usually I like to control as a coach so that players get used to seeing certain looks. And then phase C, um, which is, I think, the most important one is live. You know, is there real translation? And that's that's basically what I spend the majority of my time talking about um, on the talk um, and basically looking for cues in regards to how you can assess and uh, ensure that you have translation. Um, because if, if you know, we're not, if, we, if, if it's not working, 
you know, in the game, then we're wasting our time. And, you know, you waste your time, you waste your life. <laughs> and then where can people connect with you on social media? Uh, they connect with me on Twitter at uh, G-A-N Abraham uh, at Twitter um, on Facebook um, at Ken Athletics or, you know, you can find it there. Um, and uh, pretty much, you know, every social media platform is Gilbert Abraham or, or at Ken Athletics. So that's coach Gilbert Abraham, basketball skills trainer. More importantly, one of the great all around people in our sport. Coach, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show today. I'm, I'm really humble, man. And you you are an amazing person. And I'm so proud of you, what you're doing with this um, platform. You know, it's amazing. And uh, keep going. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.